Welcome to Modern Practice. I'm your host, Dr. Tomas Villanueva, Senior Principal for Operations and Quality Vision and Practicing Internist. Today, we're taking a look at high reliability organizations or HROs and the guiding principles behind them. I'm excited to welcome two guests supremely qualified to examine HROs with us, Dr. Alan Frankel and Kateri Chapman. Alan, Kateri, welcome to Modern Practice. Thanks, Thomas. It's a pleasure to be here. Yeah, absolutely glad to be here. So, Alan, tell us a little bit about your background and the work you do in high reliability. Sure, it's a pleasure. Uh, I'd say, first and foremost, I've trained as an anesthesiologist. That's why I'm in this business to begin with, because in that field, you see a lot that goes well, but sometimes things that don't. I got thrust into the world of safety and then teamwork and high reliability going back a good 25 years ago, the mid-90s. When, as an anesthesiologist and chairman of the pharmacy committee for my hospital, I landed up dealing with some terrible adverse events that led me to ask, how do systems function? How do you make them better? How do we help our providers delivering care do it in a safer and more reliable way? Kateri, how about you? I've been with Visient six months, serving as senior principal with our team focused on high-reliability healthcare. And prior to Visient, I spent over two decades leading at Virginia Mason Medical Center in Seattle. I served in a number of executive roles for 16 of my 23 years, the last few as president. And so during my tenure, I had the privilege to help lead our organization's high reliability journey, which positioned Virginia Mason as arguably one of the most well-known high reliability organizations in the country. We earned great recognition as a national quality leader, but more important than those accolades, We were a safe and exceptional place to both give and to receive care, and that's what I'm most proud of and why I jumped at the opportunity to do this work at this scale with Visient. I think the potential for exponentially greater impact for patients and for healthcare teams is thrilling to me. So super pleased to be here this morning and with Visient. Very impressive, both of you. So let's level set, because to me, high reliability is like a fine glass of wine. I know when I'm having it, but it's hard to describe. And I know there have been other analogies, Alan, to use in reference to this as well. So can you tell us what we mean by high reliability or a high reliability organization? Sure. Let's see if I can give a succinct definition that makes sense to people. It is interesting, your comment. You know when you drink a fine glass of wine, but describing it's trickier. I think part of that is because the term high reliability splits into two definitions, and if you combine them together, you get the whole package. So the first definition would be one that an engineer might give you, where they would say, well, a highly reliable system is a process that allows for failure-free production over time. Very important phrase. So it's failure-free over time. In other words, it's sustainable. If you talk to social psychologists, they might say high reliability is determined by the degree of mindfulness in the participants working together. And that also is a specific term. It comes from Swyke and Sutcliffe and Pauline Roberts' pedigree, and it characterizes a way of thinking as you come in to do your work that has a specific set of attributes that, you know, those folks like Sutcliffe and Roberts defined, things like preoccupation with failure, deference to expertise, reluctance to simplify. And you take those characteristics and it's the way someone thinks about the work they come in to do 
And when they come in to do that work, if they're working in an environment that is aiming for failure free production over time, you ultimately get a highly reliable system. That's actually amazing. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> it is. His definition of HRO is always so elegant. I think it's interesting, Alan, you always describe, again, so elegantly, but kind of a little more in the sense of what. And when I tend to describe HRO, I'm thinking a little bit more in how, how it shows up in organizations. So I describe it in terms of an organization's sustained leadership and operating model with specific attributes, the how. And with those, the organization can consistently achieve and sustain excellence in all realms. We talk about clinical, operational, and cultural excellence. And I think of HRO as an organizational state of being. It's how they're led. It's how they operate. And I think about characteristics, as Alan noted, but slightly different because within the organization, what you find in HROs is incredibly engaged and capable leaders who understand and embrace the behaviors and the practices and the principles of high reliability. They've been able to foster healthy cultures, ones where respect and trust, collaboration, psychological safety, personal accountability, all those things are not just stated, they're really lived and they're palpable. And then the last kind of thing that I think about in relation to high reliability organizations is that they have what I can only describe as kind of this insatiable appetite for learning and improving from all the way the board members to the frontline team members enabled, of course, by infrastructure. But it's all these attributes. They're all intentional. They're practiced. They require perpetual reflection and the commitment and discipline to continuously learn and improve. And I think, interestingly, it's the reason that some high-performing organizations don't actually call out that they're high reliability or call themselves an HRO. For them, it's just how they're led. It's how they operate. And these hallmark HRO elements have become part of their organizational DNA. I can see that. So where did this concept come from? Well, I could start and I have a pretty high level view of this. So many industries and areas have contributed to reliability science, nuclear power, aircraft carriers, air traffic control, NASA, there's been many. Our understanding, however, was advanced through the observation study and writing of researchers White and Sefcliff, which Alan had just noted. And they really helped to hone in on the principle through articulation of those five key practices, again, that Alan noted that create that collective state of mindfulness. So Alan, do you want to mention more on where the concept came from? Yeah, I'm, I'm happy to add a little bit to it. The likelihood, Thomas, is that the folks listening will remember names like Three Mile Island, Exxon Valdez, Bhopal and the Union Carbide disasters. All of those were catastrophes in industry where you had essentially highly complex, but for the most part, quite safe environments where things went awry. And you also have post-World War II, the development of an entire science called human factors. So human factors is how do human beings engage with their environment? So you've got a group of engineers and psychologists who are asking, how do we take complexity and human cognition and combine them together to make things safe? Aviation does it first and foremost, 
because military aviation was catastrophic until people figured out this relationship between pilots and the control panels and aircraft. But then it spreads to other industries, and it spreads to the other industries as these catastrophes occur. So obviously, aviation goes from military to civil aviation, nuclear power after Chernobyl and Three Mile Island, those events happen. Union Carbide and Bhopal was all about managerial defects that led to the poisoning of thousands of people. Every time the human factors experts went in to look at what happened in those settings, they came back with greater levels of insight about how to move industries to greater levels of safety. And initially, it started with dials and knobs, the controls that you needed to change in order to make something safer. But ultimately, you achieved a level of safety or reliability doing that that you couldn't exceed until you started taking on human cognition and psychology. And so when you look at high reliability today, it's been the slow advancement of thinking about the physical environment that people work in, then the mental or psychological attributes necessary in order to make an environment safe. And all of that comes to play in healthcare because healthcare is more complicated than all of them. Lock, stock, and barrel, it's the most complicated environment of the bunch. So how do you go about creating higher liability in healthcare? We are building on all of that knowledge over what's essentially 70 odd years. Alan Kateri, great discussion. And next episode, we'll look at Vizient's safe and reliable healthcare approach and how that can help organizations move towards high reliability. And to our listeners, you can contact Alan or Kateri at their email address in the resource section of our podcast page. And if you have any additional questions pertaining to modern practice or simply want to send us your comments, please contact me at our email, modernpracticepodcast at vizientinc.com. We also posted a link in our research section. And please join us for other Modern Practice Podcasts. Subscribe today, like us, or send us your comments. And now, I'm Dr. Tomas Villanueva. Thank you so much for listening. 